All content on this channel is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as professional financial advice. Should you need such advice, please consult a licensed financial or tax advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of information on this channel. Yeah, let's do this. So here talking, we go. Talking about DoorDash today. So um, the ticker is D A S H. Um, have you ever ordered from DoorDash? Oh, so many times. And I have some good scuttlebutt for today, too, both okay. from Dashers as well as uh, restaurant owners. So we can, oh, can this is get great. into that a little bit, too. Because those yeah. are the, 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 the major groups that uh, those are the pillars. Yeah. 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 Well, first, we should probably say what DoorDash does or, or what they, they want to be doing, I think, is probably a better way to put it. They bring um, food to lazy people who don't want to cook. That's what I understand right. for DoorDash. Yeah, that's, that's what makes them great. Um, I think the positioning is last mile. That's the space, right? Last mile delivery, which is, you know, getting stuff to you. Uh, and it's not just food, right? And then you, you read the, uh, the investor letter and that's the biggest thing in there, I think, is expanding into new categories and increasing their order volume in new categories. So they want to deliver your flowers and your booze and your uh, Tylenol, you know, like yeah, random, anything like, you might yeah. want in your house. Uh, they want to be the ones to deliver it. Uh, and that is an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem of, of merchants, whoever's selling that stuff. And they're dashers, the people who uh, deliver it. Uh, and I think that's that's the basic footprint of the company. Yeah. 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 So the three pillars are their customers who order stuff, the merchants who supply the goods, and then the dashers who pick up the stuff and bring it to the customers. Yeah. Get it to your house. Exactly. But yes, the, the vast majority of the business 90%, 93% of the orders, something like that, are coming for food and restaurants. So that, that is the category they are dominating. That's what they're known for. That's the only way I've seen them. Uh, but I think their aspiration is to be all last mile. Right. So, I mean, the uh, when you were looking at DoorDash, um, I, like one of, the, one of the things that worried me a lot was the competition. Because it's yeah. really, I think the hardest part is there's a lot of big players in the space. The biggest one I'm thinking about is Uber Eats, right? Yeah. Um, so how are we, how do you feel about the competition there and you know how they stack up with those guys? So as a customer, I use I've used them both. You know, it really depends if I'm ordering from a place and it's not on Uber Eats, I get it from DoorDash. It's it's uh, oftentimes it's one or the other or both. So uh, I've done that as a as a user and consumer and in receiving the product. And this is something I also want to drill into. There is no like brand loyalty here. Like I don't yeah. give a shit. Does, <laughs> is it an Uber Eats driver or is it a DoorDash guy? Or is I don't even see the guy half the time. They throw the food over a fence and run away, right? Like right. it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. So, you know, I, as a consumer, I frankly don't care. Uh, and then it, is the product, are they doing a better job delivering? Is it faster? Is their tracking better? Like, I don't think so. Uh, and, and you look at the share price as an investor, it's twice the price, essentially, twice the multiple you get on Uber, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Uber, I think, has that whole rideshare ecosystem, right? The whole parent. Um, and, and it's 4x Grubhub, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Grubhub also does a good job delivering. Uh, so and I know that from a long time of ordering in, in New York, right? So, you know, and again, if I don't care who the brand is and, and I think they can all vie for the same space, that's a pretty big premium to pay. And I think if anyone has the brand, I think Uber has a better brand than, uh, than, than DoorDash, right? Uh, to, to at least own that last mile space. So a 2X multiple there seems like quite a premium uh, for, for no brand loyalty that actually matters in my opinion. Right. Um, when you, like, so when you order stuff, do you, are you like an infrequent order um, or does it happen like once a week or does it happen multiple times a week? Like what usually prompts you to, to say, okay, I'm going to order from, from a food company and also like following that, like what makes, do you open up the DoorDash app first to check or do you do the Uber one to check? Mm. Like what's your default first choice? Interesting. 
So I would say my trends have changed over time. Maybe you're the same way. I don't know. Um, I initially, uh, I would open up the Uber Eats app. I liked it better than the DoorDash app. Uh, so I'd open up Uber Eats. I'd see what was on there. Honestly, their selection's not great. Uh, I think DoorDash does have a better selection. They work with more restaurants, at least near mm-hmm. me, right? I'm in Chicago. So maybe it's different in different neighborhoods. Uh, maybe it's different in the city versus the suburbs. Maybe it's different, right? I don't I don't have all of that scuttle uh, to, to know, but generally I would start with the Uber Eats app. I think over time, I know the restaurants I like uh, and, and what I found, uh, and I'll, this is this is the first piece of scuttlebutt, mm-hmm. the merchants would prefer for you to order from them directly in a lot of cases. Um, I've ordered from the same sushi place for like a year mm-hmm. and uh, well, not me, Naomi actually, my wife, my lovely wife who's perfect in every way, orders dinner for us. I'd say to your first question, probably about once a week we, mm-hmm. we order in. Um, and you know, we'd go on the app or we'd order online and, you know, deliveries fulfilled through, uh, DoorDash or, or in other case, it might be Uber Eats, um, or sometimes it's their own delivery fleet. They pay a huge chunk, uh, the big percentage to DoorDash to do that delivery work. And a lot of times the restaurant would rather do it themselves. They'll send one of their drivers out or send, you know, one of the cooks out. I don't even know who shows up in the car. And again, not that it matters to me, uh, but their preference is call us directly order with us directly, we'll deliver it to you. It's, it's much preferable, but they don't have the, you know, the, the web or application know-how to build that into a online ordering application or to do, you know, track your order stuff or communication for the driver. Like they just, they don't build that. So you kind of need the tool there and you need the service provider there. But I found in a lot of cases, they prefer for you to order from them directly and let them figure out how to get it to you. Uh, which is so interesting. Did you, did you discover them through DoorDash or Uber Eats first? Like, no. how did? Okay. So you. So you I think knew you know, we kind of know the rest. There's that. only I don't know. There's there's a hundred restaurants near us, right? There's thirty of them that we like. There's fifteen of them that are you know um, can get to us in a reasonable amount of time. That I would say we eat at at a relative frequency, some relative frequency. So we kind of know what what who delivers, who doesn't, and what they use. So like. Right. You know, there's a restaurant near Essencia is one of my favorite restaurants. It's, you know, a five minute walk. And if I'm super lazy, we could have it delivered. I know it's through DoorDash. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's others that I know are not specifically are not on DoorDash. And so if I wanted to order there, I'd have to order Uber Eats. But at this point, and again, the, the change that's really happened is you learn the preferences of the restaurants you like. And, yes. and what I found, again, the surprising thing that I found is a lot of them don't want us to go through the apps. They don't want us to go through the third party. They want us to go direct through them. So, so that, that's an interesting piece to that and started yeah, like doing definitely. Uh, okay. okay. Definitely. Um, you know, when you talked to like I, the sushi place that Naomi had, had been in touch with was like, you know, please call us to order. I don't remember if they gave us maybe some kind of discount or they, they offered to throw in a free roll of sushi or something, but like they much, much prefer, which you know leads me to believe there's obviously some tension there between the, yeah. You know the 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 fulfillment and the cut that they're taking it might be a little bit too high and yeah. and again with so much competition which is the whole point of this segment uh that's going to put pricing pressure on these guys which either you know falls back into the merchant and creates tension or comes passed on to me and i end up paying a lot more for that delivery than it's worth yeah that makes sense i mean for me when i'm thinking about our behavior which is kind of weird so it's just like for our family um there's like periods of time we will we'll, we'll, we'll probably order like get really lazy and order like two or three times a week, um, and we, we've all been there. We, we'll we'll like we'll order not just like what we want to eat that night, but just enough so we'll have leftovers, and that way like lunch the next day is taken care of. So we have like like ridiculous bills from DoorDash basically, right? Um, and the mentality is well, if you're gonna get it delivered, we might as well get take care of tomorrow. Um, that kind of thing. And um, the, uh, and there are some points where we actually had the dash pass. And so it's kind of creating this weird psychology to incentivize us to order some more. Um, and then well, why, um, don't you, why don't you talk when you're done, explain the dash pass. Uh, oh, yeah. dash pass. I think that'll so, be helpful. Yeah. Taking a step back, the dash pass is like this membership that you pay $9 and 99 cents per, per month for. Um, and what it does is it basically removes the delivery fee that you get charged on for every order. And then I think in some cases it gives you certain discounts, but I'm, I'm kind of like fuzzy in my mind about that. Um, but the main thing is just um, like pretty much you get gets rid of that, those delivery fees. And 
you know, sometimes the delivery fees are like five bucks per order or something like that, which means that you break even like on two orders, right? So in a month, if you do more than two orders, which is likely to happen if we're in one of those like lazy streaks, then it makes sense to have a dash pass, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And for us, like we, I mean, we, we were on it for a month and then I, I, I canceled it. Um, but that's kind of like some weird stuff that goes on because like when the stock market is down, I just say, okay, let's cancel all our dash passes and stop spending <laughs> money. Um, but uh, that's like just the weird stuff that happens in my family. And the, um, uh, the, I guess one of the things that I really like about DoorDash is actually that um, the, I feel like that the selection is good and it surfaces restaurants that we normally never would have known about. Um, and uh, it gives us enough information to decide, okay, um, you know, I wanna order from this new place that I've never been to before. Um, and then, you know, just find a new restaurant that, that we really like. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of like that, that story of how it surfaces restaurants or how it, um, presents present restaurants to you is actually a machine learning story. Like they, they're, if you ever go to their engineering uh, blog, which they actually have one, they, they really talk about how it's kind of like they use machine learning to do a Netflix like recommendation engine that max that's who's, and they're the only job of that algorithm is to constantly learn how to optimize the presentation, the sequence and the ordering um, of restaurants that are presented to a consumer when they um, open up the app. And the whole thing is always just trying to be tailored or optimized so that you will find a restaurant that you like and that you will order from them and then you will order as much as possible from them. Um, and I thought that was an interesting story uh, with DoorDash. Um, like their engineering is actually, uh, like the, the what they're doing seems simple, but actually it's really, really complex. There's a lot of in underlying infrastructure that they built into the business to try to um, create efficiency. And the hard part about it is that they they operate in a very, like I would say it's a, like one of the toughest businesses to try to make money in. Number one, like you said, that it's it's a commodity. Like I literally don't care whether or not I get my food from DoorDash or Uber Eats or, you know, Grubhub or Postmates. And the competition is literally, I just, you know, stop being so lazy and then I make food at home, right? Like I could easily do that too. Um, or I could like walk out to the outside um, if I live in a dense urban neighborhood and then go to the restaurant, which is like a 10 minute walk or five minute walk even, and then order out from there, you know? Um, and yeah. you said that it's pretty easy for like uh, restaurants if you build a relationship with them for them to like shift you over to not using DoorDash too. So they have a tough business um, and it's probably one of the most complex, difficult to do businesses that you can have. And somehow they've kind of like survived and done okay. Like if you look at their S1 statements, um, they're talking about getting 50% uh, market share in yeah. like the gross market value of like ordering. And so that means that they're beating out people like Uber Eats who've thrown a lot of money into the business. Um, and they're also talking about... Um, like do, doing things like growing 200% year over year uh, and taking a lot of volume and, and being very profitable um, in their business. So if I look at stuff like their um, gross margins here, um, I'm seeing things like 23% uh, gross margins in the first quarter of 2019. And now uh, a year later, let's say um, the first quarter of 2020, they're doing something like 41% gross margin. And that's gotten all the way up to the third quarter of 2020 with 53% margin. Like doubling yeah, but look at their EBITDA margin. margin though, no? I haven't looked at their EBITDA margin. Is there- is, 4%. Yeah. <laughs> they, 4%. The hard part, so the hardest part about like um, EBITDA margins is that it takes into account um, like R&D expenses and um, SG&A and things like that, that um, 
things that, that might not contribute to profit. Yeah, that, uh, that's usually how you calculate well, earnings. No, that 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 you've um, uh, spent a lot on um, today to support uh, growth that is not realized in the current fiscal quarter, but will be realized in let's say six to twelve or six to eighteen months from now. Like, see, I think that's where we might diverge a little bit. I think they have to spend that much just to keep pace. I don't think these are investments that are going to pay off in the future. I think that all of the competitors we're talking about are doing the same things. Then there's 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 no moat here, right? Like you you have to invest and and provide a discovery engine and crack into new verticals and come up with incentive structures just to keep growing. Yes, I, I don't I agree. know. And I wonder, and maybe you're seeing it differently than I am, but like how how large is this addressable market? Even even outside of restaurants, just last mile delivery to consumer, right? Like you're not ordering everything. You're still going to get stuff on Amazon Prime, right? You're still going to get stuff. You know, how, how often do you need things like immediately versus I can wait, you know, for the same day Prime or the next day Prime for something I wanted to order? You know, or, or alcohol. I forgot the name of the company. I, we did some orders for work. It comes the same day. You know, it's not DoorDash. It's a different company, Drizzly, or I, I forgot. There's oh, like yeah, another yeah, one Drizzly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, something, or something and, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all these niche competitors can pop up in a sector. Call it alcohol. Call it baked goods, desserts. Like, I don't know. You could, you could literally pick anything mm -hmm. uh, and spin up a competitor. Because, again, there is no there is no brand loyalty or, or, or brand name that matters in this segment. And so, to me, you have to look at the market and say, again, to me, that, that, that 4% EBITDA margin I think is more telling than your gross margins because I don't think you're going to see a huge payoff from these technology investments and marketing investments and R&D investments because that's the that's the cost of doing business here. It's that competitive, it's that cutthroat and it's it's that minute to minute. Uh, and that that scares the crap out of me for this business. Yeah, I've heard stuff like that the restaurant business is something like 50 billion a year or something like that. I might be saying it wrong. And that of like takeout is a percentage of that. Um, and so DoorDash and Uber Eats and Postmates and Grubhub or whatever are trying to like divvy up the, the takeout market, which of course, you know, not only are you fighting the competitors, but you're actually fighting the restaurants themselves. That's, that's the biggest yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the, where the scuttlebutt is helpful, where, you know, the merchant, this isn't, this isn't like a, thank God DoorDash is here to allow me to fulfill delivery. It's like, it's a, it's a necessary evil. It's like, I don't have, yeah. I wish I had a way to do this, but I can't. And yeah. I've worked, you know, I don't know, Gil, if you, maybe this was, this is definitely post us working together. I, we had a client at my day job uh, that does last mile delivery. Uh, it's wow. more of the technology backbone than the, uh, uh, they don't, you know, they don't do the driver pool. They're not, they're not working with people. They're just providing the technology to do route optimization and to do, uh, communication and to build the app for the customer. And they focus also, you know, QSR, quick service retail. It's all the, the 7-Elevens and the Pizza Huts of the world. Uh, and they also now expanded out into broader last month. So it's a similar strategy, but it's all tech. They're not, they're not competing with, with a DoorDash. They would partner with a DoorDash theoretically and help them build better tech. Um, so this is, you know, a, a, a space I, I know a little bit just from the technology side um, and even there, right. If you, if you want to focus, I'm just drilling down into your comment about investing into R and D and looking at, at, um, at gross margin here, mm -hmm. that's stuff that someone else can out innovate you in without even being in your space, mm -hmm. right? Like it doesn't take 10 years of R and D at DoorDash to figure out the right optimization engine to recommend a restaurant to you. There's another company out there with whatever name that you've never heard of, that's doing that on the back end and can partner with the next startup, Drizzly, to do fully optimized recommendations for alcohol. And you don't need to have been around for more than 15 minutes. You just need to pay for it. So I, I don't- Yeah, I, you're I saying that there's like white label infrastructure that can help tons of it. competitors. Yeah. And it's better than whatever these guys are able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that that is- if, if they are successful with that, that would be interesting because that arms the competitors. And um, I think that the question is also, um, you know, the R&D for that one is spend that has to happen 
and it does so you're you're saying that it's spend that does has to happen but it doesn't give them an edge it's basically the the anti-cost like as in, i think so you, you, need, yeah. you need to like put that on the table just to be competitive right the second part to that that like i could push on that is that um yes okay so like let's say that you both have to spend a minimum of 100 million r d right to just be in the game but you know what if the um, the R and D has different levels of effects on the business, where um, the R and D actually becomes more valuable with more data. So, like you could both spend a hundred million, and then the output of that one is for 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 company A, the hundred million spend gives you like two hundred million payback, right? And then for the other one, hundred million spend gives you five hundred million payback. And the mm -hmm. difference is not the R&D spend itself, but the, um, the volume and the quality um, and also the quality of the analysis of the, the data that you have. Um, if that is true, then that would mean that a company that has, if, um, you know, if the numbers are right, like a company that has 50% um, order volume and has like, I don't know, millions of orders coming through um, its platform in a number of different geographies might be able to get a more, squeeze more return for um, a given level of R&D spending then than a competitor. Um, and Sure, but again, at the uh, white label side of it, a, a company that's working with, you know, both DoorDash, Grubhub, and I don't know, uh, Deliveroo uh, and, and 50 overseas companies yes. and smaller competitors is going to have a much broader and richer data set than DoorDash. Right? That's true. Assuming that those data sets are um, shareable with, with each other, right? As well, even, even if you're just extracting trend level data, you're still going to be able to do smart things with that. Uh, it's not, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. You know, it's not their proprietary data in the same way. Uh, but yeah, I imagine you know, your driver attributes and your, you know, maybe some of the preferences around, you know, getting the delivery. I, I always think about fresh food, right? Like when you order, you don't want a cold pizza, right? And so a yeah. lot goes into making sure that the driver that picks up your order picks it up when it's made fresh and gets it to you while it's still fresh. And those are two legs of a route that need to be done, you know, designed and optimized. Maybe they, they actually delay cooking your food so that the driver can come get it as soon as it's fresh and bring it to you as soon as it's fresh. On the whole, you get your order three minutes later, which won't upset you. And it's fresh instead of getting it four minutes or three minutes earlier, and it's not fresh, which makes yeah. it, you know, gives you a negative impression. So that kind of data, you know, it doesn't matter who the driver is or who the customer is. You can, you can do smart stuff like that on a white label level that, again, is just going to be richer than anything any one of these companies can gather on their own. Right. I mean, when you're talking about pizza and the logistics of pizza delivery, that reminds me, like I'm going off a bit of a tangent here, but it reminds me of Domino's Pizza. They've gone like, like I think in 2005, you could have bought their stock for like $25 a share, right? And then now it's trading at $430 per share, let's say. Really? Uh, yeah, Domino's Pizza. So, I can't say I've uh, ever looked at Domino's pizza. Yeah. No, they, and basically, you know, how does a stock go from like $25 per share in 2005 to like $430 per share today? That's crazy, right? Um, and yeah. I, I think like if you dig into Domino's and like what's so remarkable about, about it, I mean, I don't even really think their pizza is that amazing. So I'm, like, I apologize to anybody who's listening who is an actual Domino's fan. Um, but I think they have built a lot of like technology and infrastructure around the last mile delivery. Like they basically are one of those restaurants, they're like the sushi restaurant who decided not to like just settle for customer phones in a delivery and then we'll send the delivery, like we'll, we'll send some random dude on staff yeah. to like send the stuff. They decided to like industrialize the process with like a website, with a mobile app ordering and, um, super quick, super fast uh, kitchens that can just make a pizza on the spot and deliver it to you in a certain amount of time, like piping hot, super reliable, and incentivize you to keep going to their app to try to order a pizza whenever you're hungry because it's just so easy and, and quick and reliable, right? That, yeah. that thing produces a lot of like value for Domino's. I think 
you know, if I were to, and it's very easy to like get get very um, down on DoorDash because it's such a complicated business. And, and it actually looks quite dismal in terms of how di- difficult it is, how low like the uh, underlying margins can be once you like, you know, disregard their, their big gross margin. Um, and then also like the, the amount of competition. But if I were trying to like see what the bullish side of this would be, I think it would be that um, the, 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 the transformative effect of technology and infrastructure on last mile delivery. Like the stuff with, that's happening with Domino's Pizza is basically what DoorDash is trying to do on a larger scale for not pizza, but like for everything else. And that is actually like a much more difficult problem because Domino's Pizza is like vertically integrated. They can um, take, they have full control of their kitchen. They have full control of their employees. So they can train their employees to make pizzas quickly. They can train their employees to deliver pizzas quickly. They know the instant when an order hits, they even know, maybe even know, like uh, can predict that you're about to order um, the pizza because you opened up the app and you always open the app on Wednesdays, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have their entire supply chain of like even the formulation of the pizza, like controlled in such a way where they can kind of tweak it so that you can make, they can yeah. make the pizza in five minutes. Like maybe they can even start making the pizza <laughs> anticipating that you are opening the order Right. They control the they control the delivery, they control the experience. They yeah, of course. You're making a great case against DoorDash right now. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, DoorDash doesn't have that full thing. What it's doing is only like it can only have a partial amount of that thing, right? Because like DoorDash will never like own all of the mom and pop sushi restaurants and be fully integrated to that. But to the extent that they can work with a restaurant, that is what they do. When but I think that you're, you're, you're kind of making the case though for, and this is the dilemma I remember with, with my client back in the day is, mm-hmm. do you want to build out your own, you know, delivery infrastructure? You want your own fleet or do you want to partner with a third party like a DoorDash or Breeze? Yeah. And give up your That's margins. an inflection point. And I think what you're saying now is look at Domino's as an example of all the benefits you have, both at the data level and at the execution level of doing it yourself. Yes. And I completely agree with you. Yeah. So how, how is this a case for DoorDash? Walk me back. Well, the for Domino's is a nationally known brand and it has mm-hmm. thousands of locations. It makes sense for them to build everything from scratch and engineer their entire organization to do that because the investment level and the return for that investment level makes sense in their particular case. Now, a restaurant owner who owns a single location and doesn't have the ambitions of being a nationwide chain like Domino's Pizza, right, um, isn't in the same situation where they could spend ten million on like some sort of like tech infrastructure to deliver to a five mile radius in in their city block, right? If even, um, and so like you would have to have, I think, you could complain all you want about giving up margins to DoorDash, but if the world's moving towards um, online ordering and things like that, and you want people to like know about your restaurant and easily order, and you know a lot of these things have aggregated those types of views, I think you're going to have to actually like go back and uh, like suffer through this. Otherwise, you'll you will um, face the issue of a competitor signing up with DoorDash, getting traction, and then um, and then squeezing you out of like business that you, marginal business that you could be getting. That's a, the, very, a very tepid defense of DoorDash. A flip a, side argument. A, a, a necessary evil almost. Yes, yes. In the same way, like, and this, is, this isn't a great, uh, this isn't the best analogy, but it's also in the same way that like, um, I think uh, Yelp, at, like was kind of a necessary evil. It hasn't been like the best stock in the world, right? But um, at some point, if you know uh, you have two sushi restaurants in a town, and one is on Yelp and the other is not, and they're both roughly the same prices, same food, um, the one on Yelp is probably going to get more traffic because you know uh, it's more easily discoverable, and then more people go. And if it's decent, then maybe they'll bring their friends, and then. 
you know, for some percentage of people, it becomes a habit to go to that sushi restaurant. So um, it's just this like weird cycle there. Like, okay, if you're a, a sushi restaurant, you, you the two sushi restaurants both need to be on Yelp, right? In order for them to neutralize any sort of um, advantage or disadvantage against vis-a-vis each other. And, um, you know, I think there's some marginal advantage. I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I could quantify how much for, for, for merchants to be on a DoorDash and be um, surfaceable by consumers who have the intent of getting food. I mean, well, you probably could, you probably could quantify that. No, like, wouldn't, wouldn't that just be, um, you know, I don't, I don't know uh, how, do they charge and maybe it's deeper into the business model than I went because you know, I don't look at it as a merchant, but, you know, getting on the platform, like saying, I, you know, I want, I want you guys to be my partner to deliver food. It's obviously not exclusive because I've seen multiple delivery partners for each restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and all you'd have to do is look at the increase, you know, and you could probably, de- I mean, you would be easily able to designate order flow coming from DoorDash than what was organic, right? And just compare and then yeah. look at the slice and make sure the margin still makes sense, right? Yeah. Wouldn't, it would, you'd have to think it makes sense because so many restaurants are still doing that. Yes. I mean, a lot of restaurants complain that the fees are too high, but then there's also still a lot of restaurants that do it. In the data that I, I looked at, I, I think um, like from the perspective of the merchant, um, the uh, DoorDash's take rate is 9% on the merchant side. Um and it's kind of like this weird, complicated situation. So let's just walk through how like the 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 order works. So let uh, the what they said in the S one was that let's say that a customer makes um, like a food order that's thirty three dollars. Yeah. Um, of that, what ends up happening is that you know the merchant ends up getting um, like roughly twenty dollars, and then the dasher gets roughly $8 for making the delivery. So that's like $28 worth of value. And then there's a take rate of $5 off of that 33 order, dollar order that DoorDash keeps. Of that $5, like some part of it is I think like uh, just taken directly from the customer. And then the other part is like the merchant fee. I can't like figure out like how the mix is, but it's roughly like $5 out of 33 um, that DoorDash keeps. Um, on, on, on like um, that, that kind of food order volume. And um, the merchant does pay a fee to DoorDash um, for the privilege of DoorDash handling that order. And a lot of people do complain about it because it feels like, you know, a lot to pay roughly nine or 10% or whatever it is that the merchant sees um, to DoorDash. But then at the same time, a lot of merchants also just like, raise their prices. Like I've seen um, restaurant items that are like significantly higher um, just on the raw order cost on DoorDash versus what like I know is on their menu if I actually showed up at the place, you know? Right. Um, So, you know, merchants complain about DoorDash taking a percentage, but they're also making it up by, you know, uh, just charging more, inflating, yeah, inflating, inflating their prices. So, you know, yeah, which actually out. is interesting and not to change the topic too much, mm-hmm. but you know, this is, this is one of those COVID darling stocks, right? Like this is a company that um, should have and did thrive uh, with everybody on lockdown, right? This was mm-hmm. literally a, the death. This came up in every conversation of essential business. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, early indications post COVID, uh, you know, I'm not giving too much, I don't want to get into too much speculation about it, um, mm-hmm. but I wonder what you think. Um, what's the the best way to phrase it? Um, just as a as a as a business model, right? That that people keep ordering, they keep ordering from home. That things are going to continue, kind of like in that general trend of laziness versus you know people going back out and going to order like. Is, is this a business that became so inflated in COVID that it's destined to, to kind of regress? Or do you see like they can build on this and, and give them momentum going forward? Like this is a unique moment in time for a company like this. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that's the important part about, about it going forward. Um, the question you're stating is that, you know, whether or not 
you know, they're going to regress post COVID. I think that's the essence of it. Right. And, um, you know, I, I always, I've always, I've been of a mindset to bet on laziness. Like Netflix is like crystallized laziness. And I think DoorDash is also like in essence, like laziness as well. Uh, and Amazon is also a bit about laziness too. Um, but the, the hard part though, is that like, I, I don't feel like, you, you know, Amazon um, has few competitors for what it is really good at in the internet. I mean, you can always, I can always order stuff that's not on Amazon on the internet. And I feel comfortable about that. But for the most part, like I, I do a lot of my ordering um, via Amazon. It's very hard to find something else that replicates that. And um, DoorDash, like it's easy to replicate, like not easy because it's a tough business, but it, it is fungible like with other ordering places. Like I'm not, I don't feel any particular loyalty to DoorDash. I might feel right. a little bit more loyalty if I was on the Dash Pass. So I'd like right. open it up first. And, and technically I've never actually ever ordered on Uber Eats. Like I don't even have the app. I've never bothered Just to do it. But the only thing is that for many years, I was a, an investor. It's like a particular quirk of mine. I was like an investor in Lyft pre-IPO. Never used Uber then. And, and, and I hated Uber. I hated everything about them. Like their tech broiness, their, like, their, their tactics, their like competitive tactics that I thought were actually quite dishonest or unfair. And, um, and so like, I've just literally like, don't use Uber because of like this weird quirk, like this weird personal quirk, which means that I wouldn't even have Uber Eats. I've never ordered them. Right. Um, so well, I, I the other piece of this defaulted th to Dash, uh, DoorDash. Well, mm -hmm. the, 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 I mean, you, you ever, I think people pick one. You're not gonna, I don't think you're gonna juggle around, open up two, three apps every time. I, and I agree with you on laziness, but I think what I'm driving more at you know, at a macro, macro level. And again, I'm, I'm trying to stay out of massive speculation, but, you know, we just got a report um, that in, that there's some inflation, an increase in inflation, a pretty serious increase in inflation in, in, in like consumer staples, right? And and also it's getting harder to hire people, right? right? For whatever reason. And again, I'm trying to stay out of, stay in my lane a little bit and, and out of macroeconomics and, and other factors. But the combination of, some of these costs getting driven up just in general, like cost of goods and, and cost of gas and cost of the bread to bake your sandwich that I'm sending to you. Um, that plus the, the dearth of dashers, it, it's hard for them to hire. I mean, they, that came up in their investor report too, mm -hmm. that they had a bad experience. They, they, they hurt customer experience by, by having a shortage of dashers. They weren't able to fulfill the orders in a way that was, you know, satisfactory. And I think that's, that's maybe not a, a super temporary condition. That might be a more, more serious thing where, you know, it's just not that appealing of a job for people. They're not invested in it. They're not building equity with the company. They're not part of a brand that means something to them. Uh, and I wonder, you know, I wonder like how much, at what point laziness, I agree with you hundred percent. If, if all things being equal, people will default to lazy. But I, I think things are starting to shift where they're not going to be equal. The cost is just going to be too high, right? You Now you have to drive up prices so much to find and retain enough dashers to provide a quality level of service. The cost of goods is going up uh, and, and salaries and wages are going to go up there for those drivers. Uh, you, at some point, the consumer says, fuck that. I'm not spending $30 for a sushi roll, right? Mm -hmm. Like, where does yeah, that happen? That's true. I mean, there's a certain level of price inflation in the menu where I just go like, no, right? Right. And, um, me too. That like, it's, for for me, I was just like, oh, okay, maybe we like the dash pass would make our life easier. But then I was looking at what we were spending, and I was like, that's just too much. The prices are inflated, and I'd rather just like try to find more ways to eat at home. Or right. if we're gonna do it, like go go to the restaurant, pick up the takeout ourselves, and then like go home and eat it, that kind of thing. Because there's like this some um, I don't know, like I haven't quantified that trade-off point, but I do feel like that that happened to me. And um, I I actually also think that like for the most part, that that means that they might be close to saturating the number of consumers who um, want to be using them. Like if, if things continue the way that, that they are, right? And yeah. DoorDash is like significantly more expensive 
the problem is that like significantly more expensive really makes laziness hurt. And at some point you're going to not be lazy because the money is just like the cost yeah. is just too much. And, yeah, and Amazon, I like, I don't ever feel like scammed by them. I don't feel like the prices are too high. And so like the laziness continues to go forward with Amazon. And then DoorDash, I do feel like, as you pointed out, you know, that there's the, there's that pain point where I feel like, ah, maybe I should just get up off my ass and try to like get some actual food on my own rather than have some guy bring it to me. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I I think we're approaching that a little faster. And I I also think that, you know, we're seeing it in my business too. It's, it's hard to find and hire and retain people, good people. Uh, and that business, it's a messy, it's a people business. It's a messy yeah. business. You want to call it a technology business? That's fine. But it's a people business. You got to manage the drivers. It's hard. And, yeah. and, it, and it's, if it's going to get harder for them to find and hire and keep people, that's going to drive the cost up even more. Your delivery fees are going to be much higher. And then just the whole thing, the whole chain gets escalated. I think people, one of the first places you will notice inflation will be food delivery. That, that's yeah. my gut. Yeah. Is you're going to see high, it there first, labor cost. right? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Makes because it's got a very high labor cost to get and through a, the food and, and the food even itself the raw is material hit. costs. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like so beef, the combination beef is more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> beef is more expensive. Bread is more expensive. The mm-hmm. plastic utensils are more expensive. The box they had to pack your pizza in is more expensive. And the delivery Even, drivers. Oh, and the gasoline. More. The gasoline. Gas, yeah, the gas is more. So yeah. all of a sudden, the first place you're really, and as a normal American citizen, I really do think one of the first places you're going to feel inflation is there. It's like, holy shit, why does it cost $46 to get you know two pizzas <laughs> delivered? Yes. It's like, oh, well, because all of these costs are getting passed on to you. And yeah. that's going to hurt DoorDash, I think, more than anyone else. It's going to hurt them more than the restaurants. It's going to hurt them more than the the beef farmers. I mean, it's going to hurt everyone, but, but I do think it'll disproportionately hurt them. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're thinking about the bullish scenario for DoorDash, they've got some really good numbers over the last two years. Part of that is- The numbers are incredible. The numbers are incredible. Yeah. Part of that was like the bump from COVID, but also I think like, if you look at the cohorts for their customers, uh, they have some pretty good data there. Like, um, uh, like a 2016 cohort, um, four years later is doing 1.5, the 1.6 X, the order value that they did in year one, and it grows every year. So if you yeah. really think about like the way their business works, you could think about them as kind of like, um, like the way a business to business, like SaaS software infrastructure type business looks like, which has like these customer acquisition costs at the very beginning. Um, and with like low prof- profitability, but as that customer, hopefully with low churn, continues to survive year after year and that cro- cohort grows older and older and kind of spends regularly, you make back um, multiples of what you spent to acquire the customer in the first place, right? Yeah, so totally. That the, the, I think like the really bullish, like if you're a bull in DoorDash, you would think about it as a software company, like a SaaS type business, with some customer acquisition costs. And then you hope that there's like low churn. And then you, that customer keeps that habit of ordering for like two, three, four, five years even, right? Yeah. Um, Week after week, month after month on DoorDash. And you know, that customer, like the way that the math works, the customer acquired by DoorDash pays back the spend in acquiring that customer in 12 months. So it's like a one-year payback, roughly. Yeah. Look, that that bullish scenario, you could tell such a great story. If you wanted to look at it through that lens, right? Average order rate for their existing customers is going up quarter over quarter, year over year, right? Increasing, easy peasy, right? Their their average order rate is above pre-COVID levels for new customers. That's great. They are, their pace of acquisition is similar despite COVID and post COVID similar acquisition. They've doubled up on dash pass. That was these, you know, these are bullets from their investor letter. Like you could, these are awesome. And if, if I was telling a story, the big one for me is they've got less than 10% of their monthly active users in new categories. They're all restaurant. If you mm. can build some loyalty there, you, that is, that's an exciting story. The goal for the whole business should be 
pushing consumers to find value and to make orders and to invest in outside of food and beverage and or at least outside of whatever restaurant the category however they're categorizing the restaurant piece of it because that that really just pushes the boundaries on the value of the business and if you look at it like a technology company i mean that that's a story i can get behind that sounds like every other tech company that we've covered right it sounds like square now it sounds almost a little like palantir of, yeah. of opening up and, and owning and, and expanding a market. Yep. That's an exciting story, but I don't think that's their business at all, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, I, I think they're in the messy people business. And I think that's going to be hard to do. Uh, you know, and they, thankfully, at least not that I know of, they haven't been rocked by a bunch of scandals either that a DoorDash driver shows up and eats your food or that a door, you know, like, I've heard some stories like that. Actually. I'm sure not, there are. Not poisoning the food, but eats your food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or not shows course. up. I mean, yeah. 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 Look, I, I was a I was a vendor at Wrigley Field for a long time uh, growing up in Chicago. Uh, many games, I would just sit down and eat my own food. I, you know, I, sell, selling lemon chills on a cold day because I showed up late to get my item. And, yeah, I'm just I'm going up to the bleachers. I'm going to watch uh, watch Sammy Sosa crank home runs for a couple hours. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I I think they are in a different business. I, I think they're a combination. Obviously, there's a big software piece, and it is a technology company at its core, and they have a lot of valuable data. That's that's the biggest thing. If you want to tell that story, you get behind the numbers I just gave you. You start talking about all the data they have across all the different restaurants, consumer preferences, trends, like you said, they know before you're ordering what you're going to order. And, you know, like that is really, really valuable. That's Google level stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but where does that translate and how much time do they have to translate that? And that's where I'm concerned with the macro stuff that, frankly, I know little about. But I, I think if they start to get squeezed before they can really reach that potential, it's going to look like a people business that's struggling to keep shit together, struggling to keep their costs down. They've got a really tight EBITDA margin on what they are doing. And if mm -hmm. you do treat these investments they're making as a sunk cost to keep up with their competitors, I think that, that could drown them this year. Yeah, because they need the time, right? Like they, if, right. You, if you, they spend you need those investments to, to pay off. Yeah, yeah. To, if they spend $6 to, to get a new customer on board, they have to wait for that customer to build a habit and not leave. And, it, you know, eventually they'll pay you back, what, like $20 to $60 over the three to five years. But you, you need that time to be able to you, have to. you have to be extant. Yeah, yeah. You have to exist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess we're getting up on time now. What do you, uh, what do you think about investing in DoorDash? <laughs> Well, we have to give a public PSA on why our podcast is so short. <laughs> oh, uh, why is our podcast so short? I don't know why. I think we just randomly decided it. Or oh no, no, do we get feedback? I can't remember now. I, I think I think we've heard from a couple folks from like two of our four listeners that the podcast is too long. So we're <laughs> yeah. we're trying to tighten it up. I also had a request if we could transcribe it. Uh, and the problem with transcribing a, a two and a half hour podcast is uh, <laughs> it's really expensive. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah we're trying trying to tighten it up. Tighten yeah. it up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. so where, where do you stand? I, I, I'm happy to go first. I feel like I always go first and then and then you, um, you say something that makes me feel stupid. So no, no, I, I, I'm actually, I, I, I feel like you, uh, the, it's, it's, I agree with you that it's a very difficult business. I'm like, I, I'm intrigued by some of the things that I see there, um, but it's a stretch. So like the things that I'm intrigued by is like how, what percentage of American gross order volume it's got, like roughly 50%. I think the founders are really smart. Uh, I think they've somehow survived in like a very difficult, high pressure environment. And it's a remarkable achievement to have gotten this far for this company. Um, and sometimes you just want to take a flyer and like make a bet on someone like that, right? Or a group of founders like that, right? Um, and it's kind of like, like being really impressed at a pin duo duo surviving in like the Uber cutthroat world of Chinese e-commerce, which I think is one of the most highest pressure, like performance environments. And if you're eating people's lunch in that market, you got to have something good. Right. Um, and I feel like DoorDash succeeding in something like an Uber eats, like they've got to have something good. Maybe they were lucky and stupid, but I just feel like that's improbable. So I feel like they've got probably what I would say is very good management in an incredibly tough business with very, very high pressures. And uh, I think also you're right. 
it's more like they're trying to build a house on shifting foundations, like shifting sand. There's three pillars, like are the merchants, which they're kind of like dragging there reluctantly, as you mentioned, because they're complaining about margins and like trying to steal business from DoorDash all the time. <laughs> uh, and then there's the customers who love DoorDash because they're lazy but then start to feel the pressure of inflated prices and then drop out of using DoorDash because it's just costing them too much. Like, and you know, when the stock market's down, I don't want to spend money. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to drop the DoorDash and not order out as much. And then there is, um, and then there's also the dashers who are just trying to make a living. And um, sometimes like between gasoline costs and the time, uh, they just don't make enough money to make ends meet. So why even bother trying to do these um, these dash deliveries, right? So you have those those shifting foundations. It's very hard to build a business on it. They've done it, which is remarkable. I like that and I'm impressed by it. I just like you feel, I feel, I think it's like very hard to like bet on a dynamic environment like that. Yeah. Um, so even though the, like a lot of the data looks good, I, I feel like this is probably too much of a stretch for me. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna invest in DoorDash at this point. It is an interesting company. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I yeah, maybe maybe tip my hand with my tone, but uh, yeah, I'm a hard pass. But I, I do think it's interesting um, once you dig into it a little bit, right? This this to me was such an obvious pass. I, I came in, Jade. I had all, no interest in the business. And then you dig into it and you're like, wait a minute, you know, they're doing some interesting stuff here. They've, they've, you know, the data, again, just the data, all the data is so valuable. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for them to be able to, again, assuming they're around long enough and, and they, they perfect and get around whatever macro factors are coming to the economy and to the consumer pricing and everything else. Uh, they have something uniquely valuable with the data. And, and that to me is something like, well, you can pay a little premium now. It's a, maybe a roller coaster. Um, but that, that ultimate, you know, the end of the day, the, the information that they have and the way that they have it and the, the context that they have it in, nobody else has that. And, and that is valuable. And, and you would pay a premium for that. But yeah. and then, you, then you go into the core of the business. And just to me, <laughs> I do not, I do not want to be in the people management business, especially in not saying nothing bad about someone that does dasher work. Um, but I think it's a, it's not a permanent career. It's something you do maybe to make ends meet or maybe periodically, maybe on the side. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I feel like if you're going to be in the business, if those are your employees, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd want a little bit more, uh, you know, love of the company or, or feeling connected to the company or even, you know, just, just uh, people that think they can build a career there and, and you're not getting that as a dasher, right? So there's just so little incentive to do your best work and take pride in your work there. Uh, that's a messy business and that scares me and, and on top of everything else. But then look, I was excited. You drill down into the, their Q1 results and you're just like, wow, this company basically tripled. It's you know? smoking it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is red, really well. red hot. And yeah. and kudos to them. And to your point, kudos to the management team. I'll, I'll tell you their, you know, their goal is is basically to become, I think I'll find the quote for you, the, the leading horizontal on-demand last mile fulfillment provider, like the, the leading one in North America, right? Like that's yeah. a good goal. That, that's such a focused mission. Like I get that. And I understand what they're trying to do. Um they're going to butt again, heads against Amazon. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. Yeah. But even, even if you just limit that to, you know, the best omni-channel connector, right? That, that's where they want to play. Like you, you can stay mm. somewhat, you can stay a little bit out of Amazon's lane. And even if you focus the story on the most exciting part, which to me is expansion, right? A global expansion and also expansion into new categories. Mm. Even if you focus on that story, with these storylines and these numbers behind it, that incredible growth through through COVID, which could have killed their business, and instead they 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 piggyback on it. Mm -hmm. Despite all of that, I I, I just I, I just think there's just way too much trouble. And to your point, shifting foundations, whatever you want to call it, too much, too many things that are happening that can massively impact that business. There's no brand loyalty from the customer side. There's no brand loyalty or or company loyalty on the employee side. 
and the merchants have a you know conflicting relationship with them, who's going to be the one to help them up when they need it? You know, who's their real partner in that? Yeah, no, I don't know if there's. It's like yeah, it's just running the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On all sides, you're you're running with weights attached to you with, with a guy you know <laughs> slapping you in the leg. It's just it's not easy. I I don't, I don't know how I don't I'm know impressed how, the, how high they've gotten so far. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm very impressed at how high they've gotten so far. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I want to hop on for the ride. <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I can I can applaud the effort, uh, and and I, I think they've done an incredible job. I remember when they first popped up, uh, at least uh, maybe not when they first popped up, but when I first noticed them, um, I was like, wow, I never heard of this. You know, that's kind of cool. And then they were everywhere, right? Yeah. It just it felt like it happened overnight. Yeah. Uh, and they do a good job, right? Like I get my deliveries. I I've never had an issue. And, you know, like, it, it's almost like the goalie in hockey. You only notice it if they fuck something up. Yep. And they've never fucked anything up. So that's good. Yep. Uh, and, and you know, again, to me, if, if you did want to take a swing here, I would understand it. Um, just on the, the customer data and restaurant data they have, I think you can, you can, <laughs> you could, you could sell just that data analytics and, and tools back to people you if you wanted to white label DoorDash and you can make an incredible business. So like, yeah, I, I have no problem with someone saying, I want to be part of, of, uh, you know, I want to invest in DoorDash. I get that. Um, but as a consumer investor, who's, you know, not, not that in the know about broader macro trends that I think could cripple or, or kill this business, uh, it's too much risk for me too. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. The biggest thing that would change my mind is if something big happened, like Uber decides to shut down Uber Eats, something like that, you know, and then now suddenly a lot of market shares up for grabs. Um, That might be something. The the irony there, first of all, that's something that could happen. It's not out of the realm. I think Uber Eats is is an experiment in a lot of ways still. Yes. Um, That's interesting. So that that would change your mind to the positive. We've we've talked about a million other ways to change your mind to the negative. Yeah. Um, I wonder uh, that I, I, in a weird way, I'd almost feel less excited about it if Uber Eats dropped out. Like it's a sign that the the industry. Yeah, is it's something's wrong with the business model. The yeah. business model yeah. itself is not sustainable, right? Yeah. And I, I think part of that is just right. You're talking about, and I, again, I mentioned that you know the the EBITDA margin is what scares me a lot. But like, let's say they peaked last year, right? They mm-hmm. just grew at an incredible rate. They still didn't put up positive earnings. Right? No, they didn't. So, yeah, no, they're still they're right, still like, running negative. You're still <laughs> losing money. So, like, maybe that is an indicator. You know, before we yeah. started the call, we were talking about what's an indicator that uh, crypto might have uh, jumped the shark. Maybe this is an indicator that the business model is a problem. That, yeah. that you just had your best possible year and you're still in the negative. Like, maybe the business model just needs a full overhaul, right? And and unless you can see some of the growth here, you know. I guess gross order value growth trend and translates somehow into earnings growth, then it, the story doesn't connect for me. You, it doesn't, you it need doesn't... to see, you need to see people like making a significant commitment in their habits to doing this. Yes. And then yes. Would, I would need to would, see, you would see, I also want to, like, they've had, yeah, they've, they've had plenty of growth volume. in gross order value, but yeah. it hasn't translated into earnings to the company. Yeah. So if they have to spend a dollar to, to get an extra dollar of order value, that's not exciting for me. Yeah. And I think the, 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 the thing about it is that they do have to spend a dollar to get like six back. And then the six back will happen over three years. So they're spending, like, let's say a hundred dollars now, maybe getting like a hundred dollars back by the end of this year. So they kind of roughly break even, but as long as they keep spending a hundred dollars every year, the cohorts stack up and then you get an exponential growth. So a bet today would be a bet that in three years, the order like that, that thing is stacking and you've got money coming in from the year one cohort. You've got money coming in from the year two cohort and it's increasing. And then now, you know, you're spending money in year three to acquire more customers, but you're breaking even only on those year three customers, but you're very profitable on the year one and year two customers, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not buying that story, man. I, I don't think, I, yeah. I don't, and maybe it, maybe, maybe that is what's, what, what's happening. Um, and we've, t- I forgot who else we talked about that type of growth. Was that? Uh, I think Palantir is very similar to that. Palantir. Yeah. I can't remember. They're, they're also doing up and down. And, all and over the actually place. Peloton is very similar too, because mm, 
Yeah. They they outlay Peloton. That that's the one you were talking to me about their acquisition costs. Although yeah. they have a they have a slight tweak in their business model where they do spend customer money to acquire a customer, obviously, but that customer, assuming you're successful, like spends money on a treadmill which is marked up very very highly. So actually, like yeah, their of, customer acquisition they, cost was zero. Or, yeah, or, or some people might even argue it's like slightly negative, as in they're being paid to acquire customers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that's the type of thing, right? Like I get the snowball effect when there's something sticky there, right? Yes. Like yes. I get that. Peloton, and Peloton has an sticky. incredible yeah. brand. Yeah. And Gil, kudos to you for, for peppering me with uh, scuttlebutt questions this week about how much we enjoy our Peloton. It oh, is yeah. sticky. It's it's sticky as hell, man. Like that that the apps, the usage, the tracking, the metrics, uh, the, the social its hooks deeper yeah. and deeper into your habits. That's what they want. Yeah, and and I must admit, I, you know, I, I've uh, I've been taking nibble positions into Peloton over the last month. I'm happy to I'm happy to have it. At, hopefully it was only after it crashed down to $80 a share. No, so. no, no, no. Well before, well before oh, God, I no. continue to lose money on almost every stock we've talked about, oh, this podcast, which is great. Um, yeah, I'm just waiting. Yeah. I'm hoping if, if Palantir, we should talk about Palantir again. I feel like at some point do a recap, but uh, if that keeps dropping, that one might be appealing, but yeah, all the stocks have been crazy. Uh, I mean, we're, we're tech heavy on the pod. So yeah, obviously yeah, tech sector has been taking it on the chin, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I feel like we get to, we didn't, we, we didn't even really talk about Coinbase's roller coaster ride. Right? Oh my like, God. It, I'm, it I'm glad nuts. we both decided not to, to invest in Coinbase after our discussion, because that yeah. one has taken several punches to the face. Yeah. What's it trading at today? 224. My goodness. Yeah. We were talking about 400, a four, a four handle on that stock. Right. And now yeah, it's in the, crazy. it's fallen down below its reference price. I believe you said that NASDAQ um, offered that direct listing or something at the. Yeah. It's like below the direct listing pre IPO. Yeah. yeah. Like it was like a 250 reference price. So um, yeah, it's now fallen about beneath that. And I don't even really know. Like where the bottom is in that stock, but yeah, um, oh, yeah. I'm glad we talked yeah. each other out of that sinking <laughs> ship. And in other news, I can't wait for DoorDash to go skyrocketing this week. Yeah. And look like After we've of... both been super negative about it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but perfect. you know, we'll see. I, I mean, I think like one thing that could change my mind about DoorDash is if um, some a big competitor starts to fail, which means that they could absorb that share, and. Um, I do think that the underlying unit economics, assuming that they're true, um, are, are pretty good. I just don't know about like, but but those numbers are dependent on somebody ordering for three years straight, let's say that's the average customer. And I know in my like anecdotal experience, like I don't think I've ordered, I, I don't think I'd order on DoorDash for three years straight. Like I'll use it on and off and, but it's not like, a regular sticky experience and the right. increased costs make it more difficult for me to be a regular user, that kind of thing. And I could imagine that that would be a lot um, of money for a lot of other people, which means that, you know, the average American, like it's a uber luxury to be using DoorDash. Like you're privileged if you're using DoorDash, right? And there yeah. can't be that many Americans like uh, whose experience is that, oh, we can regularly afford using DoorDash like all the time. I, I mean, I feel like they've saturated the percentage of Americans who either are like fairly wealthy families who are living in the sur- suburbs um, and signed up through DoorDash or like are young millennials like living in the city and have a lot of disposable income. Um, beyond that, like for the middle part of America um, where like they do need to like look at like, budgets and stick to a budget to make ends meet. Um, like DoorDash is like, uh, I feel like uh, an unnecessary luxury that they could easily, or that, that would be hard to sustain. Um, and so uh, the, the hardest part is thinking about like, well, can they lower the cost and expand their market uh, and the addressable market? Can they make it affordable for people? But the hard part is that the merchants wouldn't want to do that. And like the labor, literally, you can't squeeze any more blood out of that stone, right? It's very yeah. hard to convince people to do that. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a pass until some of those things change. And then I would like to see what their numbers look like in, like, let's say two or three years to see if those cohorts hold up. 
If not, then, you know, this business is probably unsustainable. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm, uh, we'll sit on the sidelines on this one. Uh, but this is a, a fun one to review. Yeah, yeah. Good dig, good dig into the financials. All right, so I'll have a good night, and then I'll, I guess I'll catch you later for the. You the too, episode. my friend. Another one in, another one in the bag. Nice job. <laughs> bye, Gil. Yeah. Bye.